Welcome, everyone. I want to start by telling you why this podcast even exists. Here's the thing. If you get out of bed in the morning, you are impacting someone with your life. We're telling a story, and every day is like one chapter in that story. The time will come when there are no more chapters to write, and the people we care about and the people that come after us will simply be reading our book. I don't know about you guys, but I am not that great of a storyteller, but I still want to write a really good book. So I have to find an outline to follow. The most amazing outline that I have found is the one that Jesus gave us with his life. This podcast is about talking to people using that outline to write their own amazing stories in science, in their career, and in their relationships. Today, we're talking to Dr. Calvin Tibbs, pastor of Kingdom Dominion Church and CEO of Daylight Ministries. Besides being a dedicated husband, father, and grandfather, he has written four books, going on five, received a doctorate in ministry, and has a particular passion for helping younger generations build better relationships. If you are just joining us, our podcast is produced by Be Fun, Be Kind Podcasts. If you yourself want to explore podcasting, check out BeFunBeKind.com to learn how to create impactful conversation through podcasting. That's also where you can learn more about our mission and even partner with us on our journey. You can find us at BeFunBeKind.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. Let's get started. Dr. Tibbs, welcome. I want to start off with a specific question for you and see where the conversation takes us for there. But I would love to know specifically what is something that Jesus has taught you and been working on with you in the last year? That's a very good and loaded question. One of the things that has happened in the pandemic is the idea is about whether this is something that is unusual or not. And of course, you look in the scripture and pandemics occurred, pestilence occurred, pestilences occurred, and it's normal. So what's the Lord after in that regard? And for me, what I ultimately came up with was Jesus told people to do four things, to go, to teach, to make, and to baptize right there in Matthew 28. And I think what has occurred is that we've preached great sermons and we've gotten great responses in terms of applause and perhaps even some booze. Maybe people didn't like the content. But the Lord never really told us to build a church. In fact, he said, I'll build it. That covers that. What he told us to do was make disciples. And I began to really think about our disciple making process to see if it was really working. That's literally how I wrote this book called Running Laps, because the design of it if you can look at a Jewish star, the one point of that star is designed to bring an awareness of discipleship. And laps or running laps is designed to get people to become aware of all of this content that comes across so that they can do something with it. And as a result of that, perhaps we can raise the temperature by one degree. I love that. I think one thing that I'm specifically excited about in your book, you talk about really applicable things that Jesus teaches us, and you specifically talk about the relationship with your wife and, and how your journey has really led you guys having a great relationship. 
And I think there's so much to be said for that. I know you guys have been married 36, 37 years. I was close. I was close. And I love when people talk about that aspect of relationship and they compare that to what they have specifically learned with Jesus. Is there something that maybe stands out above all else that you think would be worth sharing as far as relationships? Yeah, I I think it goes back to my parents were married 50 something years and I have an uncle and an aunt who, when I interviewed them, if you will, were married 60 years at the time. And I asked them separately, what's the key? What's the key? And I went to the, the mother first, who was my aunt, and she said, you can't, you can't say everything you want to say. So that's great advice. So I went to my uncle and I asked him and he said, you got to keep your mouth shut which was basically the same thing as she said. So the key is how we respond with the most powerful and dangerous weapon that anybody on the planet has, which James called the power of the tongue. So when the tongue, the scripture says, sets on fire the course of the world, it's so dangerous, it's used for wars. It's used to create bitter and sweet experiences So one thing that I can say about the relationship is I oftentimes pray for me. I pray for my wife, of course, but I pray for me. Not that I'm bombastic or anything, but that, Lord, you got to help me. Because as you get into 10 years, 15, 25, 30, 35 years, a lot of life changes. And so what might have been important in the newlywed years is not important when your child is in middle school. It's not as important when your child just graduated. Now your children are getting married. So this whole journey requires the rudder of the tongue to guide the ship. And we need help as we encounter different things. And so the best advice I would give any person who is in a relationship, especially, and it doesn't matter whether it's a married relationship or a business relationship or community, master submitting the heart so that the tongue can be in control, under control. That is definitely great advice. I know that you talk a lot specifically in your content about helping younger generations, millennials, and below. And I think one of the things that maybe plagues specifically a younger person is really understanding the aspect of giving in a relationship. I think a lot of people initially approach relationships from the perspective of what is in this for me, what do I get out of it? How does this help me accomplish my goals? But what I have heard you talk about is how am I impacting the other person? Perhaps how can I get that other person to their life goals? And that is really a completely different mindset than the other path that I just mentioned. How do you get there? How do you make the connection? You, you want to ask yourself three questions. I call them qualifying questions, a Q2 evaluation. Two questions or qualifying questions, but there are three of them. Why am I here? Now, we can't throw that over our shoulder like socks at Christmas time and we just, oh, I'm here. No, no, no. We got to think about why are we here? Second thing is we have to think about what are we supposed to do? Why are we here and what are we supposed to do? Have a relationship. If they don't, the disconnection causes relationships to be disconnected. Number three, how can I improve? All those questions are design, direction, and development questions. If I understand that I am designed to add value, then I'll do so because it's my design. That's why I'm here. If I don't understand that, 
it moves to the next level. What am I supposed to do? That's personal development. If I don't know what I'm supposed to do and I'm not getting developed, then I am underdeveloping any relationship that I'm in because I'm not developed. Part two, what am I supposed to do? The third thing is, how can I improve? Well, improvement is what it's all about because we can always get better. They do it in athletics. They do it in any area of sports or even in acting because they want to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Well, so it is in a relationship. I should be investing in ongoing development so that I can improve. If I'm not improving, I am messing with every relationship that I am in because I'm not bringing the best version of myself to that relationship. So those are major aspects of how to literally bring to a relationship the gold and the hidden assets of the person they're in a relationship with. I love that. That's a great example. One of the things that I specifically love diving into is the human relatable aspects of Jesus and how that applies to our life. And when we look at how he served people and the model that he put together for that, it's such a powerful explanation of not only how to impact other people, but how to scale that. If you think of his model, he brought in 12 people. He poured into them significantly, and he showed those people how to impact other people and scale that to what we have seen 2,000 years later. And every bit of that is relationship. And I think as we have the opportunity now to look back on that 2,000 years ago, I think we can see that pattern applied to our own life, whether it's a relationship in our marriage or our relationships at work. How have you seen that played out in people's life? It's interesting that Jesus took on himself, the scripture says, no reputation, but humbled himself and became a servant. And then we see in another context where the books could not contain how much Jesus did. There were so much There were so many things that he did. So how is a person without a reputation doing so much? And then he turns around and says, and greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. It's like, how do you put that piece, those puzzle pieces together? And to me, it's found in the story. Jesus came to fulfill what was written even before he was on the planet. Now, of course, he knew all things, but the physical part of him was not here until he went into the mother's, into Mary's womb as a virgin, and that conception, Jesus is now born. Jesus was living, however, the story of Isaiah, the prophetic words, the the words that David spoke, the prophet Jeremiah. So he's literally living a script. So his point as, if you will, the purveyor of life was to do what the father told him to do, which was a script. So when we go off script and write our own story, we normally write in our own reputation. We write in our own versions of how people ought to see us. That's why in social media, it's truly vaudeville or an acting place because most people only put up the best version they want other people to see. That's not the whole story. So the reality of what Jesus did was he lived the story that was written of him. When we live the story that's written of us, it always includes writing people into the story. Most times people write folks 
out of a story if they think there is no value that they bring to them. I got mine. I got to get my this, that, or the other. But when you're living the story that God wrote, sacrifice is a part of it. Believing in other people who don't even believe in themselves is going to be a part of it. Trusting in folks that other folks have written off is going to be a part of it. And so to just know that we're living what he wrote about us, which is found in in the book of um, Proverbs chapter 139, verse 16, if we can just recognize that the story of our life is already written, all we have to do is get in touch with the author and find a way to let his words matter so that we can live and speak the story of our lives. I love how you explain that. Something else that I really love about the story of Jesus is that it is all written from an observer's perspective. He actually modeled this out with his own life, and this was observed by people that spent almost every hour with him, which is really crazy to think about. And then they took that message and they modeled it into their own life. That's a great perspective. And it makes me think about a wonderful man, great theologian. His name is Dr. Leonard Sweet. And of course, the word Emmanuel, to the point you just made, means God with us. And so he said, that's God's name. His first name is God. His middle name is with. And his last name is us. So when you consider that we are now God in us with other people, we just have to know our lines. And our lines are in Scripture. Be patient. Walk by faith. All the lines are there. And if we recognize that God whose middle name is with, is literally in us, it changes the perspective that causes us to now be our brother's keeper, to care about folks who others couldn't care less about, because God did that when he was with us. So yeah, you bring up a great point when you say that. I do also want to talk about the specific content that you have coming out of your book, and the name of the book is called Running Laps. If you would, just give us another overview of what you're going to be diving into in that book and how it can really apply to people's life. That's a a, a great uh, segue into it. It's really true that in America today and around the world, there's a lot that's going on. And I call it a 21st century disruptive discipleship design. And I call it that because it's a little bit different of an approach to how we create disciples or how disciples are created. And what LAPS does, it it asks four questions, and they're basic questions. And those questions, when they are uh, rehearsed inside of the mind of the person, can be applied to anything that they see, print, anything that they hear, or even audio or video that they see. When, as disciples, we can, if you will, become spiritually fit, then the tone of our strength will help the community that we live in, the family that we live in, the era that we live in. But when we're not spiritually fit, in a place, the Bible talks about it, that gross darkness would come. If we're not spiritually fit, then we won't be able to stand in the opposition. We won't be able to make good decisions. We won't be able to contribute to those who are deceived. So LAPS helps to take any content that they receive, audio, video, or written, And it helps them to use critical thinking skills to bring about an awareness of their responsibility for what they just heard. So we're really excited about getting laps in as many places as possible 
because the light, it doesn't even take a lot to dispel the darkness. But a lot of people, in my estimation, have sat on the hillside and they'd rather just sit there and watch the world go by because they're so discouraged by so much. But I'm trying to say to them, no, let's run laps. Let's run laps about what you've forgotten. Let's run laps around the experiences you had. Let's bring in the resources necessary to help you become the person that you're supposed to be by using the content that you are exposed to. So we're excited about the book. Yeah, no, that is exciting. I know it's going to be a great book. Clarify just for a second what you think of when you think of discipleship. What does that mean to you specifically? It means to me a person who is a doer of the word as a normal person would be. Oftentimes, I think we compartmentalize church and our spiritual walk, and we call it private. And that's true. But Jesus said, whatever you do in private will be seen and shouted upon the rooftops. So a disciple of the Lord involves Jesus in every area of their lives and not in a religious way, in a relational way down to choosing your wife, down to choosing, if you're a woman, choosing your husband, down to how you raise your children, how we approach this pandemic. A disciple doesn't act separate from the relationship that God has given us because we are ambassadors. And as an ambassador, every place that we go, it's territory that is off limits to the devil. It's diplomatic immunity. So a disciple has all of this going for them way beyond Sunday morning, way beyond a tragedy or a challenging time. A disciple, in my view, is a person who is living out what God told them to do so, let's just say, significantly that they keep changing, that they don't even recognize themselves in a week. And therefore, they can let that light out on other people who don't even think about this as being a real relationship. They just think God is the man upstairs. But when you walk down the stairs with God in your heart, a disciple is able to make a difference in the lives of those that he or she is assigned to. I think that we can often get lost in different types of terminology and people can view things slightly different ways. So I think that was a really good way to explain it. And something else that you said that I thought was really neat is that the things that we do in private will be known and shouted from the rooftops. And that was something that was apparent 2,000 years ago. But my goodness, how much more apparent is that today with all of the things that we see and all of the things that is in a digital format? Now, if you think of all the actions we take and really how much of our thoughts, to a certain degree, are converted to a digital format, and even though we believe that they are private, they are still out there in the ether And who knows, 10 years from now, 20, 30 years from now, what that ether will look like. And so I think that is relevant today like it has never been before. Yeah, the reality of us being like the generation beyond the millennials don't consider themselves digital natives. But the fact of the matter is, if we've been on a podcast, if we've watched one, if we've been on Facebook, if we are connecting with it, we are at some level highly engaged in that. And I just believe that if we stop separating out this relationship of wonder that God has given us and start blending that relationship, I think we'll find that we can be more relevant to a world 
that is thinking that Christianity and Christians are just not, they don't know what's going on today. They're not open-minded. When we are the ones who carry the salt and the light to benefit them, and we've got to engage in that digital world in order for some of that exchange to occur. Yes, absolutely. Dr. Tibbs, again, this has been a really great conversation. I just appreciate you coming on, and I do want to encourage one more time our audience to check out the book when it comes out, Running Laps. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. It was my pleasure as well, and may the Lord bless your audience and the work that you do because it's very important. Keep it up. Thanks for joining us as we explore more about who Jesus is. So much in our society has been influenced by his life in some way. Something I think about is that if I wanted to be the best painter I could possibly be, I would probably find the best painter in history to pattern after, maybe Leonardo da Vinci. If I wanted to create a really cool computer company, I would probably follow Steve Jobs. Plus, I don't know, apples are my favorite fruit, so that sort of makes sense. If I wanted to live the best life I possibly could, not just a good life, not even just a great life, but the best life, I would try to find someone who lived life perfectly. The only person I know of who has done that is Jesus. If you heard something today you're curious about, you have questions on, or you simply want to learn how to apply the message that Jesus gave us to your own life, I invite you to reach out. You can contact us just by going to our page at befundbecon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. I'll see you on the next episode.